Welcome to PCA One-on-One, Positive Coaching Alliance's podcast series where we talk with leading experts about how to develop better athletes, better people through sports. And now here's your host, Tina Sire, PCA Chief Impact Officer. Candace Hogue is a doctoral candidate in sport and exercise psychology at the University of Kansas. Her fascinating research examines the impacts of having people learn a new skill in a caring, mastery-centered environment versus a winning-centered, ego-involving climate. In today's interview, we'll explore what her research means for youth athletes, their parents, and their coaches. Candice, thanks so much for joining me today on our Positive Coaching Alliance one-on-one podcast. Great. Thank you, Tina. You are too kind. I appreciate it. No. Um, in, a, in a past conversation, you and I were talking about how you were off to medical school, and then you came across Dr. Mary Fry's work around caring climate, and it was really a pivotal moment in your career. And I was hoping you could kick us off talking about that moment. Oh, I would love to. I had. I, I would love to say I was actually accepted in med- medical school. I was. Apl- I was preparing for the MCAT. I had taken all of the prerequisites for medical school, which is about three years in. And this was my second undergraduate degree. My first degree was in business. I thought I wanted to work in the corporate world. And um, and I went back and I wanted to do something where I helped people directly, um, where I felt it was more directly. And for for me, I didn't feel as fulfilled. And I thought, well, you know, working in the medical field, that may be more hands-on. I think I may like that better. So I took all the prerequisites. And right at the end of it, I happened to take this sport and exercise psychology class. And I felt like the clouds parted and the sun shone down, and it was everything that I've ever loved all in one discipline. It's amazing. It's it's so fun to study it. What was it about that topic that, um, you know, really excited you and, and changed sort of the course of where your career was headed? You know, it was being able to use I, – I was an athlete my whole life, and I feel that there, I, w- I don't think I would have learned the skills I've learned to communicate with other people, to work hard and achieve my dreams. And I, I don't think I would have learned that quite as well without sports. I don't think I'd be where I yep. am today without sports and without the coaches and, and the leaders that I had in my life. And, and I felt that I wanted to be able to stay connected to sports um, in some way, shape, or form. And finding sports psychology, like I now get to help inform people how to, to optimize their experience in those settings and just have the best experience that they can. And it's so fun to work with kids and really help nurture them into just really good human beings and to also kind of promote their interest in physical activity. That's what really gets me. I think that motivational yep. piece and that enjoyment and kind of connecting kids to one another. I like that part. Absolutely. Well, um, you know, Jim Thompson, who's PCA's founder and CEO, and I first heard of you and your work um, through Mary Fry, um, who's also at the University of Kansas and is kind enough to serve on our advisory board. And, um, you know, she started telling us a little bit about your work, and um, we got so excited about it. We wanted to talk to you, and now I want to use our interview today to share some of the research you've done, because I think it's so powerful, and that sort of the impact and the tips it could give parents and coaches for the kind of climate um, they create and the kind of environment for their kids in sports. So I just want to jump in and and actually have you share with our audience about your study, um, you know, that was eventually published in the Journal of Sports and Exercise Psychology in 2013. Um, So what you did and sort of what the big takeaways are. Absolutely. Mary Fry is a phenomenal mentor, and she really was, this was my master's project. We've continued this research throughout my PhD, and um, Mm -hmm. 
She's she's really focused on how, again, how can we really optimize the experience of, of youth in physical activity settings, and how can we also optimize their motivation and performance? And in what we've seen through the research, we base a lot of our research on achievement goal theory, but in, to kind of summarize it, the idea is that in any achievement setting, so sport, that we create one of two environments as, as coaches, as leaders. And that we can have these really cooperative, amazing, positive environments where we're really trying to focus kids on working together to reach common goals. And we're really focusing them on their effort and their improvement. And that's kind of what's key in those. And that's where we feel successful. So no matter how, what happens, whether we win or lose, if we tried our hardest and we left that game, we can, we can have our head held high and we're getting praised for that. Um, and this is one type of environment where mistakes are seen as part of the learning process. Um, again, a very supportive environment. But we also see, in contrast, uh, highly – I don't want to say they're, per, they're performance-focused because both settings are performance-focused, but more of a winning focus, where it's a very competitive and that we're pitting athletes against one another. And what we're really highlighting is who's winning and losing, and we're structuring our games so there is – in our um, – like our drills during our practices, we're structuring them so there is a clear winner and a clear loser in contrast to these positive supportive environments where it's very cooperative. And so um, what we did was we, we created an experiment where we taught kids to juggle in those two environments, and then we looked at their, their responses to it. We've also done this with college students, and, and we just saw these phenomenally different outcomes. We saw in that really competitive where we're pitting athletes against one another – we saw their, their stress levels just spike through the roof. We psychological and their physiological, meaning how their body responded to it. So we're actually like our body's actually responding to how stressful the environments are. Um, and that's what really stood out in that research there. Um, but in so, that positive so environment. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I was, was hoping say you th- could tell us specifically, yeah, oh. for, the, for the two environments, you're about to go to the supportive one. How did you operationalize that? So if one of the college students walked in the door and was going to be part of that more competitive environment with the juggling, how did you actually simulate that in your study? We did. We actually based it off a of work that has been done, an, ex, an investigation by Melinda Solomon. She's up at LSU at Louisiana State University. And she had done this with middle school students and kind of created an intervention to look at their outcomes. And what she did was we, we took that and we built upon it, and it was about a 30-minute intervention. All the participants, everybody who came in, they didn't know how to juggle yet, so it was an instructional juggling session. And they came in, and we, we actually structured it in the competitive environment. Um, we had them, we started off the activities where we had this introduction kind of team building activity. And it, I don't want to, again, I don't want to say necessarily just competitive, but what we call an ego involving climate where we're really focused on winning and outperforming others. We started it off, and we really, in those types of environments, it's, the coaches seem to really set the tone that what's important is who's an athlete and how athletic you are and your, your ability to perform. And so we really wanted mm-hmm. to set the tone from the beginning that that's what this climate is like. So we circled everybody up, and we had them um, go around and say their, their greatest sports performance, so their greatest sports accomplishment, to just, mm. again, to kind of set the tone. And that, that was our introduction our, our team breaker, but to give you a contrast in the, that cooperative environment, the really caring environment, we had a team building activity where we circled everybody up, same thing. They had their name tags on, so instead of calling them by numbers like we did in the other environment, we wanted to get them to know them on a personal level. And mm-hmm. so they all had name tags on, and we went around. We actually played this name game where we tossed balls, and you looked at the individual who was facing you, 
And if I, let's say that I had Tina in front of me, I would say, Tina, are you ready? And she, I'm ready, Candace. And I would toss the ball to you, and they would catch it, and then you look at somebody else in the circle. So it kind of went around. It was just this fun little introductory name game activity. Mm-hmm. And then as we progressed throughout the – I won't explain each of the activities, but we, the, we structured the activities in the caring cooperative environment, the mastery-focused one, that – all of the activities were we were trying to work, have the groups work together to reach a common goal. And so they were trying okay. to beat their own individual scores juggling and their group scores juggling. So they really uh-huh. are trying to master those, and we were really focused on their personal improvement. Are they moving from one ball to two balls and two balls mm-hmm. to three balls? Um, and how mm-hmm. many toss-to-catch successes are they getting? But in contrast, yep. in that, that ego-involving, that competitive climate – we were, each of our activities were structured, again, there's a clear winner and there's a clear loser. And so it was all comp- competition-based. And did you, um, yeah, I may be dreaming this up, but did you have confederate, you know, people who were sort of, um, unbeknownst to the people in the study, were actually on your research team who were competing in the juggling in the competitive group that were already good jugglers, or, or did I dream, dream that detail no. up? You did not dream that up. We didn't um, in our – the only study that where we did not have that was a study that we did the same intervention with adolescents because we didn't have right. them trained. But in all of right. the research that we've done with college students, yes, we have them go through a, like probably about 6 to 12 hours of training, um, and then they, they, they help – they pretend to be part of a study, but they help really foster these environments. And it's important in, in experimental investigation – that you're really creating the climate so you know that the outcomes are based on that. Um, and so it was really important for us to do that. But they were, yeah, so in the ego-involving climate, I'll give you an example of what the Confederates did. They would really promote competition. They were also the ones that, like, in, in these ego-involving, winning-focused climates, it, the star athletes are re- receiving the majority of praise and recognition. And so we pretty much put them in there, and we had the Confederates who really already knew how to juggle, would kind of pick up the skill faster than anybody else. They would kind of look around and pay attention, and then we gave them the, the majority of praise and, and recognition. So it was interesting. Right, but, right. Yeah. I was going to say in the, in the caring group, they really helped foster just positive interactions among the participants. It was pretty amazing. And really focused on skill mastering were very encouraging, again, to help kind of create those environments. So I know that um, the whole field, you know, looking at sort of task versus ego orientation, there, there's a pretty big um, research basis looking at sort of the impact that has on people and um, sort of behavioral and social implications. And I feel like your your specific work really brings in um, the physiological piece and looking at the, you know, the cortisol levels. And I'm wondering if you could talk with our audience a little bit about what you saw with the physiological piece and sort of the stress response. Um, which, you know, for skeptics, this is, this is not a self-report, right? This is a level no. that you're measuring and, um, and how that really added, I think, to the field and, and what you did with that specific piece of your study. Oh, a- absolutely. So we were, my master's thesis, I think, was the first study to incorporate a physiological measure of stress, meaning how our body responds. So we collected saliva and we looked at their cortisol levels. And if you're not familiar with cortisol, cortisol affects everything under the sun, our mental and physical health and well-being. It affects our sleep cycles. 
the amount of fat that we deposit on our bodies, our ability to recover from injury. It, uh, it's causally linked to depression. Like there's a lot, pretty much across the board, cortisol affects you if, it, if, it's, if your stress levels are continuously high. And so our concern is that if, if ego-involving climates are triggering this stress response, how does this impact our, our kids or even at really any age athlete across the board in the long term? So if they're day in and day out, they have athletes or coaches that are creating these climates and their cortisol spiking, that, that is likely to have these pretty strong effects on their, their health and their well-being. And so, yeah, does that kind of help answer your question a little bit there? It it does, and I think for, for people not as familiar with your research, can you talk specifically about, um, you know, when you took the readings from the saliva and the sort of things you saw in the two different groups and, and how that changed oh, over the course of the two hours? Absolutely. So we can, when they initially came in, we, took a, we taught them how to provide the saliva samples, which was about 20 minutes before the juggling session started. And then we had them fill out their questionnaires, their pre-session questionnaires. And immediately before, we had them um, provide another saliva sample. This allowed us to kind of get their baseline levels, so right when they arrived and then right before it started. Um, and from their baseline, we had them, we also collected immediately after the juggling session. And then we collected them every 15 minutes up to 90 minutes after the, the um, our intervention had ended. This basically, just to summarize it, we had three response measures that we looked at, and we saw in the ego-involving group in those response measures that the cortisol levels significantly rose. And in our adolescent study, they actually doubled what they originally were. Oh, wow. Pretty, which is much greater than we even expected. We expected a rise, but they doubled. It was pretty wild to see those findings. Um, and then, but what was really interesting, we thought, okay, this really caring, supportive, mastery-focused environment really does minimize the, the stress that you have when you're in an achievement-based setting, any sort of performance setting. Because there is stress there, but it kind of helps minimize it. So we thought maybe cortisol levels would be kind of level out. They would be the same as baseline. But what we saw, we actually saw cortisol levels decrease significantly relative to their baseline, which was pretty amazing. Wow. And that was yeah. true at both the college level and the middle school level? It is. And what's interesting is that when we look at social support and the impact that that has when, when people are sick, for example, social support plays a really big role. And so it is when we look at what we believe helps kind of have, um, elicit this protective response in people physically in our bodies, as far as social support, it's it's nearly the definition of what Mary Fry and her colleagues study as far as creating a caring climate. So really nurturing, nurturing kids, making, them feel, making sure they feel safe, that they have the sense of belonging among their, their teammates, and really, again, fostering these positive interactions. And that, again, that's kind of the definition of what they believe helps buffer and, and protect people. And so we're starting to see this in the research that we're conducting. Um, we did have one study that suggested, and we're not sure, I don't want to say definitively, we certainly need to, to investigate it more, but it looks like in one of our studies that a marker of inflammation that we had measured um, rose to levels that suggest that it's actually countering inflammation. And unfortunately, in that study, we only had one measure of inflammation, so we, again, we don't know for sure, but it is very promising, and in that very study, again, the cortisol levels decreased significantly. So there's, so, there's a so lot of research to be done. 
Yeah, I want to make sure that I understand that last point. And for, for the non-researcher, you know, talking to a sports parent and coach here, what what do you mean about um, countering sort of, are you saying uh, inflammation of, of what? And break that down for me. So if it rose, there's a, what we had measured, uh, it's a marker of inflammation. And it basically rose to levels that um, that indicate that it's it's countering or decreasing inflammation. And inflammation for, again, it's similar to cortisol. It kind of affects you across the board. If you have high inflammation, yeah. it kind of limits your ability to kind of move if you have any sort of injury or recover from injury. It increases your pain. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of things that inflammation can increase. But we, again, we can't say definitively, but it, it certainly it. looks that way. Yeah. Right. But I know, and I know you can say definitively around the cortisol. And I guess I'm curious to stick with that for a second and just say, um, what if you were a coach, you know, who wanted um, to create an environment where uh, her her athletes were really not afraid to try a new skill, or they were willing to stick to something longer and try harder? Um, do you feel like the results of your research inform that? Like, how do you create that environment where someone, you know, persists and and is willing to try new things that may, they may not be able to do right away? Absolutely. We actually looked at that. We looked at that anecdotally, which means we just asked the people who were helping with the study what they saw, and they reported yeah. that in, in that really caring, supportive environment that they were trying harder skills, which means that they were trying two or three balls, and they were trying them more often. Um, so it really suggested that they weren't afraid to try new skills. And when we asked them about their experiences, in those caring, supportive environments, their effort levels were so much higher than in the ego-involving climate. So they were really, really trying hard. Their enjoyment levels were much, much higher. They had higher levels of self-confidence. And when we asked them about their anxiety, um, their anxiety levels were much, much lower than they were in the ego-involving climate. So it yeah. really does suggest that when we're, when we're really focusing on effort and improvement, we're really focusing on what each individual brings unique to the table. Um, and I think that's yeah. one key feature about the task-involving climate that's important is that we may not be the best, you know, the best performing athlete on the team, but I may be the spark plug, or I may be the person that everybody comes to when they're feeling nervous or anxious. And all of that really does come into play when it comes to performance and, again, the experience that we have. And when we're creating yeah. this task-involving climate, as coaches, we're recognizing that. We're recognizing those strengths, and we're letting those kids know that, the, that this is also – we appreciate what they're bringing to the table here. Um, and I think that's really what helps them really continue their motivation. And we we also ask them that, are you interested in continuing to practice juggling? How excited are you to continue juggling? And, again, in the caring task-involving group, man, that those scores were so much higher than they were in the ego-involving group. So we are seeing this. It's Again, it wasn't an actual sports setting, but the, the experimental investigation, for it to be juggling and to have that big of a difference, it was yeah. – Pretty powerful. So, so Candace, the Institutional Review Board is okay with you guys ruining juggling for these people and their futures? Uh -huh. You're taking the joy no. of juggling away from these people? Yeah, we actually, we went there. It is pretty extensive. And relative to real-life settings, we really created a minimally ego-involving climate. And I do want to emphasize, we did ask them about the climates. They were significantly more ego-involving in the study um, for the ego-involving group. Um, and significantly more caring and task-involving when we asked them how they perceive the climate. So they were different, but we did – they were mild 
relative to real right. life settings and what we've seen. And we were very careful right. to never, ever, ever personally attack any of the, the participants at all. We simply, <laughs> we, we did, we simply focused them on when, for example, when I, let's say that there was a skill that you weren't necessarily picking up. In the ego-involving group, we did teach them the skills. We just did it in a manner that was ego-involving. So I'm going to, going to go right. ahead and compare you, Tina, to Sarah, because Sarah's really picking this up so much better than you are. Mm. See how she's doing oh. it? Her two balls are really uniform. And you see how yours, yeah. yours are all over the place? You know, so we're really, that's one way to coach, where you're comparing people to one another. And somebody else who picks and it up. And if you're making better. my cortisol spike just by using my name here, I'm feeling anxious. Oh. We actually, um, it is crazy. We actually, we did this um, as a, just as a drill before we did this study in one of our sport yeah. and exercise psychology master's courses. And we had the Division One level athletes, like top athletes, who just completely and utterly shut down when they were taught to juggle in an ego-involving group. Like shut down. What did they that were, look I like? What, yeah, what do you mean? What do you mean they shut down? They shut down. They were they were um, physically. You could see their body language that they weren't interested in what they were doing. They were kind of muttering that they weren't enjoying what they were doing, and they weren't really trying. They were kind of just putting wow. really minimal effort into it. And when we asked them afterwards about their experience, it was their responses were similar to what we've seen in our research. I didn't have fun in that. I don't care that if I ever learned to or practiced juggling ever again. That was not enjoyable for me. I don't think that I'll ever be able to juggle. And I think that's what wow. really stuck out is we have kids and, and adults, for, this, for that matter, who are leaving this 30-minute juggling, instructional juggling session thinking, I can never do this. But if you ask the right. caring task-involving group, we see the opposite. They are, they're, they're absolutely, they want to teach their friends and their parents how to juggle it. They picked up the skill much more quickly. And so it's really yeah. kind of helping them flourish with respect to motivation and in this ego-involving group, it's just, wow, it's just hindering it. So so put on your um, sports parenting hat. So if you're a yes. sports parent and you're hearing this, um, it, it starts to feel like, wow, the kind of coach that I seek out for my kid is going to make a huge difference. What would you tell sports parents? Like how do you find coaches who know how to create more of a caring, you know, task-oriented environment? Um, rather than more of the ego, um, you know, the ego-oriented environment? I would say talking to the coaches and just asking them about their coaching philosophy. Why did they get into yeah. coaching? And I would highly recommend, if you can, um, try to find someone else who's parents who have uh, athletes who've played for those coaches. But I do want to say this. Yeah. We don't always have control over the environment we're in. And so we've actually conducted research. We had Mike Bresky was one of our master's students, and he looked at – if we prime our athletes going in before they go into this instructional juggling session, if we kind of prime them with this focus on mastery mm -hmm. and you kind of explain what a caring task-involving climate is to them, will this impact or buffer that response? And we found that yeah. it did. We found that oh, it did. Really? So this is, yeah, this is really, really promising because what it suggests is that, again, we don't have control over all the leaders that are in our life or really all the people mm -hmm. that are in our life in these settings. But we do have control over how we personally define success. And so mm -hmm. if we go into an environment that's achievement-based and we define our own success by our effort and improvement, if I leave and I tried my hardest, if I am getting better, I may not be as good as Tina, but you know what, I did my very best and that's something to be proud of. And if we're reinforcing yeah. that with our kids, 
and reinforce it every day. It's okay that you lost because they're going to be upset if they lose. It's just, you know, we're a very competitive society. But if you really right. just praise them for how hard they're trying or whatever it is that they bring to the table. If you have a kid, I love, Jim actually talked about this when he was at KU. He used an example of a kid who just never, ever gave up, no matter what. Wasn't the best player, but that is something to be so proud of as a parent. You, again, like, if you just never give up, you may just – you know, not succeed in, in beating the other team or scoring the point. But if you have that diehard attitude, that dogged determination, that's something really special and I think should be recognized in kids. And so you can help give them their own coping resources to face the stress mm-hmm. that they're, they're, maybe they're put into. Um, that's, that is really reassuring. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I would love to maybe in another, another interview sometime talk specifically about that sort of priming with mastery and the buffering effect. And I feel like it just coaches um, have a huge impact and parents can also really help with how they're framing sports and the questions they're asking and the expectations they're setting with their kid. I love that. Um, I want to just cover one more thing as we wrap up. Um, I think this term, you know, caring climate, which I believe Mary Fry and others um, talk about. Um, it's a setting where where the participants perceive it to be interpersonally inviting, safe, supportive, um, and able to um, provide the experience of being valued and respected. When when a coach hears that, it sounds a little bit touchy feely, you mm-hmm. know, um, a, a little bit soft, and it's like, how, you know, yeah, that's nice. Like we can all be in a safe, supportive environment. And mm-hmm. I really want to prepare my kids to win and, you know, mm-hmm. know how to be competitive. And it almost yeah. sounds like a caring climate sounds antithetical to that. And so I yeah. want to give you sort of a last um, summary here about if we really care about the scoreboard and having people perform their best, um, mm-hmm. what is the argument for a caring climate when if, if what I really care about is like making the conference championships? Yeah, let, let me put it this way. I would run through fire with gasoline on my hair for my coach from high school, Coach Christy Posey. She's <laughs> a coach over at UMKC. And when I start a lot of my presentations, I start them that way. And the reason is because I knew she cared for me. And I absolutely mm. know that to this day, nearly 20 years later, her other athletes from our high school teams say the very same thing. You want athletes to mm. perform for you, let them know that you care for them. You hear them. Mm-hmm. You value them. They'll, they will do anything, especially kids, to have an adult really respect them and to show them yeah. show them that respect. That's the best way. And research shows that. But just from, to answer your question, yeah, that is absolutely the best way to, to optimize motivation, aside from all the other so, magnificent benefits. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and what did she do um, specifically to make you feel that way, that you were heard and valued? Absolutely. She, she asked us about our personal lives. She, if hmm. she thought we needed something, she would follow up with questions. If we had a doctor's appointment or an injury, she would always follow up. Are you okay? Is there anything yep. I can do to help? You know, yep. if there were things going on in our personal lives, that was important to her. It was important for yep. her, and it was important that the team really pulled together that we felt like a family, and we did. Yep. I'm still in touch with many of the girls that I had in high school, and, and you see this in teams where the coaches mm-hmm. really do create a family. And, and that is important because a lot of these kids that we're coaching, they're looking for that family. They may not have that role model at home, or if they do have that role model, they may not have their brothers and sisters, that family piece at home. And, and athletics yeah. is such a beautiful environment that it can give them that. And coaches really are some of the most powerfully influ- influential people in the world. 
And to be able to have yep. that responsibility and to do that and to nurture those relationships, again, when it comes to performance, if you can get your team to respect one another, to really, really love one another, that's really the way to go. Because they'll, they'll fight tooth and nail. They will work as hard as they can for each other. So It reminds me I, a lot I of the military when we talk about this. You know, really that hmm. brotherly camaraderie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, again, you've given us a topic for, for another podcast on another day. Um, I think I want to end there and just thank you so much, not just for doing this podcast today, um, but for conducting the research that you are. And I feel like you're adding so much to the field. And um, at PCA, we always want to try to take um, sort of the cutting-edge research that's going on and get it in the hands of coaches and parents. And hopefully you and I have done that today. So um, keep it up, and we'll look for your um, – publication that's coming out around the middle school work you've been doing and just uh, really appreciate everything you do. Oh, thank you. I very much just say, say back to you guys. I very much appreciate the work that you're doing. And I do want to highlight really quickly that I'm being given credit right now for this, but I could not have done it without Mary Fry and Dr. Andy Fry. There, it would, without their help, it was just amazing, amazing projects that we've been involved in. So thank you very much for taking the time to interview me. Thank you, Candace. Take care. All right. Take care, Tina. Thanks for joining us on this episode of PCA One-on-One. Be sure to visit PositiveCoach.org to download more podcasts.